Hello, my name is David Burns of the Assessment Register and welcome to our podcast. Today we're going to be talking about calibration control. Now for many, I know, calibration will be stating the obvious because you quality managers and auditors, you should know all there is to know about calibration. However, from time to time, more often than not, a non-conformance is often raised against calibration. And usually it's not due to lack of knowledge, it's more to do with a lack of control. Therefore, we'd like to lay down some ground rules, hopefully helpful hints and tips of how to manage calibration and calibration control. Firstly, we all know we need traceability on measurement. So therefore, having traceability to national or international standards is the norm and that's what you should be aiming for. However, first of all, you just need to consider exactly what calibration control you need to have in place. So a good starting point, of course, is with the customer contract and the technical specifications that detail the tolerances within those technical specifications. In addition to tolerances, we just need to look at the acceptance limits within the drawings. I mean, what are you trying to achieve here with the test and measurement equipment? And then, of course, we just need to look at what test and measurement equipment you actually have on the premises. What do you actually use at the moment? Is it fit for purpose? Then, of course, we need to just look at, well, who does your calibration? Do you do it internally against master equipment that's internationally traceable? Or do you rely on subcontractors to provide that service to you? And finally, of course, how do you control calibration? Do you calibrate based on time or do you calibrate based on usage? Either way, you need to have some policy written about how you manage your calibration internally. Okay, taking it from the top. Most of you, I'd like to think, are using an accredited laboratory to 17025 for your master equipment. However, just because they're accredited, don't forget to check out their scope. We've come across a couple of situations where um, a laboratory is actually providing the calibration service, but some of the equipment they're calibrating is outside of their accreditation scope within 17025. So again, you just need to double check that. I don't think for a minute the calibration laboratory was being mischievous or trying to pull the wool over the eyes of the of the company. I just think it just dropped off the radar. They were given a contract to calibrate, so they just sort of got on with it. So the lesson learned for that particular company was, okay, we need to make sure that if we use an external calibration house, we need to make sure that we check their scope and we actually know exactly what it is they're doing and what they're not doing as far as the calibration service is concerned. The next thing to ask the calibration house is about adjustments and limits. What are you trying to achieve? What are they trying to achieve on your behalf? So again, you need to lay down some ground rules. If they make any adjustments on your equipment, you need to know. Okay, that's absolutely critical. You need to know what adjustments they've made to bring something that was out of calibration into calibration. And of course, from that, what impact something that's out of calibration and you not knowing about it since it was last calibrated by that calibration house, what impact has that had on your products that you've already shipped to your customer? So in this regard, just make sure that when you use an external calibration house, make sure that you issue them with a purchase order with a clear scope of what you actually want from them and what you're expecting as far as test results are concerned and how they're going to be managed when they do arrive on your premises. So you've got the equipment back along with calibration reports. They need to be checked internally before they're used internally. 
When you do check calibration results internally, one of the things that we always believe is really important is drift monitoring, i.e. checking if there are any drifts on the measurements and the results that you've had back from the calibration test house because you should be able to collate this information and that should identify whether something's drifting close to being out of tolerance the next time around or even over the next few months before it's recalibrated. So have these controls in place. Very important to demonstrate that you're in control of your master calibration equipment. Okay, so we have our master equipment back and we're happy with everything. So now we need to look at everything we use internally and the calibration control internally. Now, there's two things going on here, I think, okay, to consider. The first thing, if you calibrate your own test and measurement equipment against your master equipment, you're kind of very in control as long as you're managing it as you'd expect it to be managed, i.e. you're looking at the existing measurement now of the equipment in calibration and then you're looking at the adjustments you've made to perhaps bring it into calibration if it's slightly out of calibration or slightly close to being out of calibration. However, a big alarm bell rings when we hear that an organization is actually using a subcontract service where another organization comes into your premises and collates all your test and measurement equipment and then they calibrate it on your behalf. The amount of times we come across where this organization that you've contracted in, in good faith, makes the adjustments on equipment without actually telling you that they've made the adjustments. So again, you're out of control now because you don't know how long a piece of equipment has been used that's been slightly out of calibration. They've come in and they've adjusted it and put it back into the shop ready for using again. Now, you might think, well, I'm bound to control this, aren't I? Well, yes, we'd like to think you are controlling that, but amazingly, you'd be surprised the amount of organisations that don't have that control. Probably because they haven't got time to look over the shoulder of that third party that comes in to manage calibration on your behalf. Again, unfortunately, there's certain assumptions there that you think they're doing a good job, they've got credentials, they seem to have a good, diligent person coming in, he sits at the bench with his white coat and white gloves on, calibrating your kit, but unless you're looking over his shoulder, um, you don't actually know exactly what he's doing. So you need to lay down some ground rules for any third-party contractor that comes into your organisation and calibrates on your behalf. I mean, with fear of stating the obvious, calibration is king. Your product is only as good as your calibration at the end of the day, okay? Even if you've got a 1950s Bridgeport mill or a 5-axis CNC machine, they're useless unless you've got decent calibration control. So wrapping all this up, we need procedures. So that's the next thing we need to consider. So we've looked at the equipment we've got. We've looked at what's master equipment. We looked who's checking the master equipment. We're looking at who inspects that master equipment back into your premises. We're now looking at how you calibrate the equipment you have within the premises. And now, of course, we need procedures to control all that, wrap it all up nicely. Okay, now, one of the things I don't think I've touched on is about calibration policy from a day-to-day -day perspective. Most of you that are in precision engineering, your precision engineers, by default, by their very culture and very nature, they will be calibrating things before use anyway. It'll be in their blood. It'll be in their nature. If they pick up a mic, the likelihood is they're going to check it before use. Okay, So that's a, that's a policy thing. It's a cultural thing that you need to drive home internally. And concluding all of this, it's all about records. So again, 
any adjustments you've made, record the adjustments. Any test and measurement equipment you use, record it on a works order, record it on the job sheet. Anything that doesn't feel right in calibration usually isn't. So in support of all of the aforementioned, I'm sure many of you will have um, coordinate measuring machines, CMMs. Now, one of the really good points of reference that we always try and recommend clients to go and um, have a look at is the National Physical Laboratory and even NADCAP. They have some really good control documents on how you manage um, um, CMMs, internal calibration, master points of reference, um, all the different standards that you use for everything from vernier calipers right the way through to plug gauges. Um, they have, there's some really good standards and some really good references that they use. And as we said previously, if you're going to write a procedure, you'll need a standard point of reference. And a good standard point of reference is an ISO or an EN standard or a known institution like the National Physical Laboratory and or NADCAP where they've already started to lay down some rules for you on how to control calibration. Anyway, look, I hope this podcast was useful. As always, you can always email us info at assessment-register.co.uk should you need any advice or hints and tips on how to manage your calibration. Thank you very much.